Join the big show Friday from 2 to 7 at the warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Boom! Time now to talk with Dylan Colley, the former BYU wide receiver, joins us once a week. Dylan, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? It's going well. Today we would like to dis- d- discuss with you style points. It's getting late in the year. BYU's undefeated. They're eighth in the country. Well, according to the media poll and the coaches poll, they are. We'll find out what the committee thinks of them. But if they needed to make an impression, how much does style points matter to you? How much does a team need to win by? Is the answer as much as possible? Score with two minutes left? Is there a limit after a 20, 30, or 40 point win? Do you no longer care? What do you think? I don't know. I, I can't. I can't say that. Right, style points don't matter. I also, I do think that there is a level of sportsmanship, but that is a very fine line. I think, you know, when you get up and you're in a controlling situation where your players are only having to play, you know, the first three quarters. I think there's enough style points there. I also think that you know when your punter takes off. Uh, you know, and and runs for a first down on fourth and fifteen, right? Uh, that's a punter being a punter, and we need to respect that, and you know, uh, appreciate uh, appreciate a punter who's just trying to make a play. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think you need to be in a very controlling situation uh, after three quarters to where you can say, hey, we're up by forty, and we can pull our starters and bring in our backups, and and they can perform at a at a good good enough level to maintain you know, that, that sort of dominance. So how about a compromise? Go for style points in the first three quarters. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I I think that should be your goal all the time, right? When you say, you know, don't take your foot off the gas or uh, I don't know if this is, uh, you know, a lot of coaches say things like, you know, step on their throats. I uh, don't know if that's very appropriate, but, <laughs> you know, uh, you need to be able to do that in the first three quarters. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's what you have to do. Uh, I, I can't sit back and just say, hey, let's, you know, let's take our foot off the gas, right? There, there's sportsmanship is shown throughout all three quarters as well, right? And when you're dominating, you're dominating. And that's, if you're a Division One football team and you're getting beat by 50, you you know you need to, that that's not BYU's fault or that's not Alabama's fault. That's the other team's fault, and and maybe it's a little eye-opening to what they need to do better and the resources that they need to provide so that they can actually compete at this level. So there are probably people listening to this who are thinking, well, that's great, get a big lead, but. Uh... Play some of these young guys and start getting ready for next year because next year, presumably, the schedule will be back to what we've been used to the last few years and it'll be front-loaded with a bunch of teams and you need to get some of these young guys work now. There's probably another group of people saying next year will take care of itself, seal the deal and get in a New Year's Six Bowl and blow somebody out and play all the front-line guys. Where do you fall on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, that just goes back, right? If you're up 40 points in the third you know, at the end of the third quarter, let's get the other guys in and start building, right? And I think that is a huge part of the development. Um, 
a huge part of the development so that they can, you know, get that game experience and, and be ready for next season so that they can continue to think on. on and it's not just a, a, a one-hit wonder. So correct me if I'm wrong, Dylan. I would put you in the category of, and I know you went to Hawaii, but what I would call the traditional BYU football player, meaning you went on a mission, I think you did, uh, and mm-hmm. then somewhere along the line you come back. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I served a mission. Yeah, okay. So then you come back. Now you go to Hawaii, Just, but for, for sake of argument, say you would have stayed at BYU, and it doesn't really matter that you went to Hawaii, but somewhere along the line you got married during your college football career, which a lot of the BYU guys do. So my point in all of this is, is that now we're presented with this unusual situation. You're a little bit older than the average senior, but you have this opportunity to return because there, this is a free year. Put yourself in this position if this would have been you a couple years back, if we would have had that. What do you think about the idea of returning to play some more? So I, I actually think about this. I had this conversation with my wife as well. Uh, because we think about, I, I think about this pretty regularly. If this would have happened, um, you know, based on if, if let's, you know, like you're saying, right? If my career was the same, it was, um, if I, if you just took me from Hawaii and just put me at BYU and my stats and my play and everything was the exact same, right? You know, I was in a pretty good position to where. Uh, if I would have stayed consistent, right, at my junior year, and then the same things would have led to my senior year, in my eyes, I, I would have had a shot to play in the NFL, right? Was I ever going to be a draft guy? Even if I would have had, you know, I had 56 catches my junior year, if I would have even kept consistent and had, you know, 60, 70 catches my senior year, I was never going to be, right, a first, second, third, e fourth-round draft pick. Um, and so I knew that, and I was okay with that. It was, okay, if I continue to play well enough, I could maybe right be a very, very late-round draft pick or most likely have a shot right to be a, a, a priority free agent. And so in that situation, I wouldn't have come back. Uh, I would have you know moved on after my senior year and because you do get to that age where it's, you know, I, I was playing as a 26-year-old senior. Um, and if yeah. I didn't have a shot, yes, I love football, but it's time to kind of move on and, and take care of take care of the family. Now, if the transfer, if, if it would have been the same situation, but the transfer happened, right, where I would have come into BYU and we really only had an offense the last four games of the season, um, you know, in terms of scheme, in terms of comfort, right? Uh, I mean, this would have been awesome because I would have come back my senior year because I do think that it would have given me a better shot to, to move on and, and play at the next level. So the NFL guys are going to go. The guys who are deep on the depth chart, my guess is that they're going to go because they don't want to practice football for another year and they don't think they can play because <laughs> guys are being recruited over the top of them. So, But is there a small sweet spot of, I don't know what it would be, six to eight to ten guys of a, of a class who are going to take advantage of this at any given school? Maybe less so at BYU because they're even two years older? Absolutely. I think you have to. One hundred percent. 
Explain what the commitment is of a of a varsity of well, not just varsity, but a D one player at, at something. We'll just use BYU because you're pretty much devoting almost your entire life to it, aren't you? What just run us through what what goes on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, from right start to finish. After you know, obviously there's that six months of fall camp, of, of the fall, right, where where you're actually playing football. Um, everything you know before that and after that is really where the dedication and that work kind of kind of gets into place. And um, you know, at Hawaii, uh, I was my day to day was it was the same, right? Nothing ever changed, and I'd wake up and we'd go work out. Our workouts were anywhere between you know seven and nine o'clock. Um, and you'd start out on the field, right, for an hour, hour and a half, doing your mobility, uh, running through speed workouts, conditioning, and then you'd go spend an hour, hour and a half in the weight room. Uh, after that, you know, depending on your class schedule, uh, mine was in a, a place where I could take a lot of online classes and, you know, didn't have to be on campus as much. Um, and so, you know, a couple of us would go and train uh, at a place in Hawaii to get some extra physical work in, work on our core um, strength and, and a few other areas. And so that was uh, about an hour and a half, two hours at least. Um, then you'd go to class, you'd eat lunch, and then we'd go, uh, we'd go throw for, you know, hour, hour and a half. Um, and then you'd head up to the, to the football offices and watch film as, as long as possible. And that was probably going to be an hour, hour and a half. And then, you go home, and uh, luckily I had a, a wife who supported me, and we'd figure out what we were going to eat for dinner, and we'd go to bed, and you'd run it back, and you'd do that about, mm, you know, six, seven months out of the year. And then once you get to the season, it's, okay, now you're up in the morning. If you are banged up at all, right, you're in the training room as soon as you wake up. So have a set time where they say, hey, at 6, 6.30, right, a.m. before class, you need to come in and get treatment. So then you'd be in that early to get treated. Then you'd go to class, right? And then after class, anywhere in between class, if you have a two-hour break, and let's say you're banged up, which, you know, six, seven, eight games in the season, chances are you're pretty banged up if you're playing, you're expected to be back in the training room getting treatment. And then you go to class again, right? And then, you know, uh, at depending on the time, right, when everyone's done, uh, two, three o'clock, you're going to have meetings. And you're going to have team meetings and you're going to have position meetings and then you're going to have special teams meetings and then you're going to work out. And that even during the season, that's going to be an hour, hour and a half. Um, and then you're going to go to practice at four o'clock and you're going to have practice for an hour and a half, two hours. And then you're going to go watch film and then you're going to go home. You're going to try and get your homework done. If you have a wife, right, you're going to hang out with your wife and your family and you're going to go to bed, and you're going to run that back again. Um, and that is, you know, that is no lie, right? Like, I'm telling you no exaggeration. That was my life specifically and the life of at least, you know, 70% of Division One college football athletes uh, across the country. So the really good guys move on to the NFL. The guys who can't get on the field move in because that's too big an investment if you're not playing. But for these other guys, I'm also curious. It's kind of the ugly underside. Uh, how much will coaches say, hey, we want the scholarship back, and you, son, you need to move on? Yeah. 
And this, uh, like, it is, right, it is a business. As much as people want to say college football and, you know, amateur sports, like, college football is a business. The NCAA has shown that it's a business. Um, and, you know, those, those conversations are going to have to take place because you only have a certain amount of scholarships. And so you're not going to, you know, sacrifice, let's say, a guy who, uh, if I would have transferred into BYU and didn't contribute in any way, shape, or form, and it was like, hey, Dylan, you were terrible, right? <laughs> like, you were not a good idea. Uh, you know, coaches need to have that conversation and be able to say, okay, this freshman is going to help us in the long run, whereas this person is just coming back to maybe put on a jersey or, you know, is a decent practice player. Um, it all goes back to this is Division One college football. Uh, if you're up by 50, you, you know, and if you can do it with your backups, you can do continue to do that with your backups, right? Uh, if there's a freshman that's coming in who's going to make a bigger impact than the senior who's already been there for four years and hasn't done much, um, then you need to you need to be willing to have that conversation, and and that's that's going to happen. So for the guys who are getting all this playing time and getting all the glory and the fame, and you were in two situations where you played on football teams that really mattered in the community over there in the islands, and then we know here in Utah how big yep. of a deal it is to be a BYU football player. So there's some attachment of uh, fame and glory there, especially if you're getting the playing time. But how fun is it for the guys who aren't the stars? And that that's that's all situational, right? Because I know a lot of guys. I mean, at, at Hawaii, at Hawaii, you really are, you know, when it comes down to a, the most similar situation, right, where you're playing for a culture, and you're playing for something just bigger than, right, uh, than you know, just a team. Uh, Hawaii is one of those places, just as much as BYU is, right, where you're playing for the islands, you're playing for an entire culture. And dudes on our team absolutely just love this, right? Especially the kids who are from Hawaii who wouldn't have had a chance to really play college football anywhere else. And so that opportunity just to be on the sidelines and just to be able to put on a Hawaii jersey, that, like, that matters. And, and people were okay getting absolutely torn and thrown around, um, you know. And you talk about – well, Dylan, I don't know about getting your, you know, about taking the pedal off the gas and what happens in the circle. I mean, I was on that team where we were the ones that got beat by 50, 55, 60 points. Um, and so I've, I've experienced the worst of the worst. But, you know, people are still willing to, to come out and just be on the team. Uh, that's, to me, like, I couldn't do that because it is, it is such a time commitment. Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. You feeling pretty good about their New Year's Six plans now? You figuring that they're in? Assuming they yeah, beat San Diego State? Yeah. I feel, I feel very good about it. Which is why they have to have style points then, right? At 100%. <laughs> like, if, if they're, you can't, you know, it just goes back to, well, okay, Boise State, right? Without Hank Bachmeyer. Like we said from the very beginning, without the starting quarterback, right, you need to win by 30, 40, 50 points. And that's what they did. They have literally done everything that everybody has asked them to do. The only yeah. thing that hasn't been done is for the people who are saying, 
you know, oh, the only way that this is going to work out is if you put another team on the schedule. Right. But far and wide, every person, you know, uh, I think Brady Quinn, you know, this last weekend was one of the few doubters who kind of, and that was, and that was toward the, the college football playoff. Right. right. You had right, a yeah. panel of Urban Meyer, Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, and Brady Quinn, and Brady Quinn was the only person that said, I don't feel good about it because of the offensive line. Now, right. clearly, Brady Quinn hasn't watched a BYU football game all year or hasn't kept up with BYU's offensive line that hasn't changed for the last four years, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think if anybody else wants to complain, you don't even have to talk to Twitter. You don't have to go to the local, right? You don't have to talk to just BYU fans. Go complain to Urban Meyer, right? Uh, Liner, Reggie Bush, and even Brady Quinn. Go, go complain to them and see what they have to say about it. Dylan, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. Yep. Have a great week, fellas. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver, join us. Kyle Whittingham is coming up next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. If Rudy Gobert is eligible for a Supermax, but not given the Supermax, does that upset him to the point where like, wow, I've done everything that was asked of me and these guys don't apparently think I'm worth that. So if they're offering me 30 and somebody else is offering me 30, I'm going to go take the 30 from somebody else because they like me more. If I'm Rudy, I stop and I look at my deficiencies. I know I'm amazing in certain areas and I think to myself, well, where is the game going? Well, the game is going to stretching bigs. I can't even hit a jumper. Even if he gave him a Supermax contract, I don't know how marketable he is because he's a rim defender. And I just hope his representation is to a point where like, okay, let's be realistic about the situation. You're not Steph Curry. You're not LeBron James. You're not Giannis. Those are guys that are going to get Supermaxes and frankly deserve Supermaxes. Hanson Scotty. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to listen into Kyle Whittingham's media availability. Here he is live. When I first got the job here way back when, uh, he was a big help to me, a mentor, if you will, uh, helping make that transition. Uh, spent a lot of time with him in those early years of my uh, head coaching career. Uh, had a chance to get to know Bill very well over the course of those last 15, 16 years, and even prior to that. But uh, he'll be missed. Uh, just uh, an icon in the uh, in Utah athletics, and and I uh, had the opportunity to go out to dinner with him and his wife Joyce uh, a couple times, and and uh, the respect and admiration and love that that he had for her was uh, really an inspiration to me, and and uh, just a, a great guy, and he'll be missed, and and I just want to make sure that uh, you know we. I acknowledge that and, and let you know my feelings about Bill. So, so uh, rest in peace, Bill. Uh, uh, as far as football goes, uh, we've had an encouraging week so far. Uh, excellent practice yesterday. Uh, you might uh, expect that the players' spirits be a little down because of the disappointment the last couple of weeks, but that's not the case. They're eager and ready to go. And uh, we had, a, like I said, a very productive practice. We'll get back out on the field today. Things are trending in the right direction for us uh, as far as uh, getting back to health and getting uh, guys back uh, out on the practice field. So that's encouraging as well. And right now, all our efforts are geared towards getting ready for the USC Trojans. 
and uh, be kicking off uh, hopefully uh, Saturday night, 8:30, ESPN National TV. And so we're excited about that opportunity. So questions. We'll start with Trevor Allen, followed by Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune and Patrick Kinahan of 1280 The Zone. Uh, what has the last two weeks been like for you and also for, for your players to where you guys are getting ready for games and then on Friday having them be, be pulled away from you guys? How, how has it been, you know, emotionally and also just around the locker room? Well, it's been tough and particularly for the players. I mean, coaches, you know, are, are probably a little more uh, – emotionally able to handle that but but players they're competitive they're they're looking forward to competing and to have the uh the rug pulled out from under them at the last minute two weekends in a row is is difficult but like i said they've been uh, very resilient and shown a great deal of of resolve when they come back and uh so we're in a good place right now mentally we still you know don't don't know a lot about our football team because we haven't had a chance to play yet but but uh, as far as their work ethic, uh, their focus, their attention and detail, it's all been very good. We'll go to Josh Newman, followed by Patrick Kinahan. Hey, Kyle, good morning. Good morning, Josh. Just to follow up what Trevor said, um, you know, your players are grinding all week, but, you know, the week is not ending in a game. Um, from a mental standpoint and emotional standpoint, just how important is it to kind of keep tabs on your players right now? Well, it's always important to keep tabs on them, and that's uh, part of our job as as coaches is to uh, be in tune with uh, them and their lives and everything they got going on, and uh, be there not only for you know to, to coach football, but uh, for just uh, support in general and uh, their well-being and making sure we're tuned into that. And that's a big part of our our uh, responsibility as coaches. We you know position control and and uh, doing everything about your position group. Uh, academically, socially, uh, football-wise, obviously, it's just all part of the deal. So I think our, I know our assistant coaches do a great job of staying in tune with that and making sure that uh, we're uh, sensitive to, to what's going on in their lives. And just to follow that up, I know that as you guys went through last week, you guys were very close to the 53-player threshold, you know, kind of one way or the other. As this week kind of gets going here, uh, are more guys coming out of quarantine and is your 53 situation kind of looking more optimistic right now? It is, it is. We're getting more guys back, uh, both out of quarantine and also the active cases have run their course for the most part. We still have a few that uh, are, are uh, not in, in non-involved football-wise yet, but uh, due to come out in the next few days. But uh, we're in a much better spot right now than we were the last two weeks. and. And uh, we tried to do everything in our power the last couple of weeks to play, but uh, there was, you know, between the 53 available scholarship players or, or, and or a position group being decimated, that knocked us out of, of uh, competition. Our next question will come from Patrick Kinahan, followed by Ryan Kosteka, SI.com. So you talk about competition every day in practice. I'm wondering with that in mind, you've still had the competition these last two weeks, but no games. Has the depth chart fluctuated in terms of guys maybe moving up and down based on these practices? It's fluctuated in guys moving up and down more so on who's available than competition and practices. We've, we've had to shuffle the deck quite a few times based on the revolving door of who's in quarantine, who's got uh, an active case of COVID or, uh, just an injury for that matter. You know, there's, there's also, you're dealing with injuries that are non COVID related. And so that's been more of a, uh, 
disruptor to the depth chart than has the competition. And now competition is always there and and uh, it's always a part of the equation for us of who's going to get playing time. But but uh, that is taking a backseat right now just to the who's healthy and who's not. And then we saw the Pac-12 put together a game basically in two days notice and it was played Sunday. You got the Trojans this week, but who knows next week because down in Tempe they're having issues. What are your thoughts about getting a game that isn't currently scheduled on short notice? Well, it's uh, you know it's not ideal to be able to or to have to prepare in a short period of time for a, for an opponent. Uh, I think it was 48 hours that uh, Cal had uh, with uh, with their last game and and. Uh, but if both if both teams are on the same uh, footing and it's a level playing field and uh, neither team had a, a extended period of time to prepare while the other team was thrust into a, a short window, then uh, you got to go. I mean, we got to get games in, and it's not really a factor for player health or safety. It's just a strategic factor. You know, the coach is not being able to have much time to game plan and make uh, put in uh, things specific to that particular team. So as long as it's not a health or safety factor for our players, we're good to go. But again, as, you know, in a caveat to that is making sure that, you know, if one team had been planning all along for the possibility of, of playing a certain team and the other team was scheduled to play another team and at the last minute had to switch gears, that uh, isn't uh, ideal. But, uh, you know, and this, this is a unique year, uh, unique circumstances, and you've got to be ready to adapt and, and uh, make changes and be able to do things like that. Next, we'll go to Ryan Costeca, followed by Josh Newman. Hey, Coach. How are you doing this morning? Good. Thank you. So, obviously, uh, you know, you're coming into the season with a young, you know, secondary primarily. Have you seen the growth from them the last two weeks that maybe gives you more confidence heading into USC this week rather than, you know, facing Arizona for the first time two weeks ago? Well, we've definitely seen growth. Uh, we've also seen uh, guys miss a bunch of practice because of uh, uh, circumstances. And so uh, it's been a little bit of uh, – you know, a, a double-edged sword where guys are, are getting better, but then guys that need reps are not available to practice. And so uh, we feel like we're made, we've are made we made progress, but we still don't know what we have. We haven't lined up against anybody yet. But as far as their techniques and fundamentals and, and grasp of the scheme, you can see that uh, getting better on a daily basis. But uh, we got to line up and play somebody to really find out where we stand. Next question will come from Josh Newman, followed by Josh Furlong. I know that things are constantly fluid in terms of personnel and who you have available on a given day. Are you still in a position right now where um, where scout team guys and walk-ons are, are getting two deep reps? That is becoming less and less the case. We've got that in a few isolated spots now, but uh, for the most part, we're in pretty good shape. Uh, and you know, it's, it's uh, still not perfect but we're in a much better spot than we have been at any point over the last two weeks. And so we, we feel like uh, we've, you know, we've got our, ourselves back into a good situation. There's still a few, few guys that we're missing, but uh, hopefully we get those guys back uh, shortly. And just a quick follow-up. Um, you fielded a question before about, you know, scheduling a game on short notice, how it's not ideal, et cetera. Um, are you guys kind of, actively looking across the landscape if the Arizona State game were to be canceled on November 28th, kind of seeing what the options are? Well, I don't think that would be up to us at all. I believe it would be up to the conference. And, uh, we, you know, we'd like to play. That's uh, the bottom line. And, and to, uh, 
you know, you have to have a uh, another Pac-12 team that's in the same boat because you know it's scheduled out. Everybody's got uh, opponents for the next what five weeks, and so it would have to be a situation where somebody else had a cancellation as well, and it, and it matched up on your schedule. And so that would be uh, again at the conference level and, and something they would decide. Next up, Josh Furlong, followed by Jeff Call of the Deseret News. Now, speaking a little bit about the game this week, uh, last year, Keaton Slovis, their quarterback, uh, he, he did phenomenal things for him. He, you know, he kind of came on the scene and, and really took it by surprise. Uh, this year, he's kind of started off a little bit slower, sputtered a little bit. What, what are you seeing from him that, that, that still gives you a challenge? And, and maybe what, what have you seen as the difference for him this year so far? Well, he presents a big challenge. He's, a, he's an excellent quarterback. Uh, he's made some throws this year. That throw against Arizona State on the fourth and 11 uh, to win the game was, was an incredible throw. He put the ball in the only place it could have been put to, to be caught. And so he's a guy that what I see on film has a lot of poise. He's composed. Nothing seems to get to him. He's, uh, he's uh, got a, a real leadership quality to him. And uh, their offense seems to respond to him. And now he's got a great core of receivers to throw to. He's got a stable of backs that are very talented and a, and a very athletic offensive line. So he's got a, an outstanding supporting cast. But, but uh, he's, he's an excellent quarterback and, and uh, has performed, in my opinion, very well the first two games. Our final two questions will come from Jeff Call of the Deseret News and Trevor Allen of KSLSports.com. Kyle, looking at the big picture at this point with all that your team's been through already, what do you hope to get out of this uh, really unique season? Well, we hope to play, first of all. We're, I think we're the only Power 5 team that hasn't played yet. And so that's, that's, uh, that's the first and foremost, is just get on the field and get in, that, get in an actual game, uh, see what we got with these, with these uh, new players and uh, obviously be competitive. We've got uh, some good things going for us on offense. We very few new players on offense. That's a veteran group. And so uh, we expect to be productive on offense. And, and uh, really the key is how quickly this defense can come around. But, but uh, we're always looking to, to uh, win the South and, and get to the championship game and then win that. And so that's, that's our objective. And we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, we've got to start playing at some point, And hopefully this is the week we're able to do that. Our final question from Trevor Allen. Kyle, as you look at the uh, Trojans' defense, do you, do you feel like that there's, you know, especially having a new coordinator, does that provide any kind of advantage, especially because you have a lot of veterans coming back on offense? It does, and uh, we also have two game tapes on them, uh, which we can study and analyze and and uh, base our game plan around. And uh, they're, they're very athletic on defense, just like always. Same thing I said about UCLA. Uh, last week, I mean, they're right in the hotbed of Southern California's recruiting uh, and talent. The talent level down there is outstanding, and they're going to be talented every single year. That's never going to change. They're USC, and so they've got a lot of athletes on that defense. Uh, defensive line is, is playing well. Uh, so they've got guys really, you know, four- and five-star guys at every position. So that's going to make for a, uh, a formidable opponent, uh, no matter what the circumstances. All right. Thank you very much. There's Kyle Whittingham's weekly media availability, PK, the last Power 5 team to play a football game this year. Cal, Cal got their first game in Sunday. It was Cal and Utah to the end. Now it's Utah. 
The last I didn't that till he said it, man. Team, right? How freaking crazy is that? Yeah, I mean, we just keep your fingers crossed that it continues. It's looking good right now. It's looking better from what I understand and talking to people today than it did the prior two times in the last couple of weeks. Now, last week at this time in Tempe, it was looking good. And then the dam broke on Wednesday, and then it broke even more on Thursday. And the point I'm making there with them is obviously they couldn't play. Well, those are the uh, Utes' next opponent next week. I don't think they're going to be able to play. Uh, and so, Kyle, you know, I asked him about getting a quick game together and a, get, getting a game together quickly, I should say. And I you know a lot of folks have been talking about BYU, and he went to the conference because that's the first priority because there very well could be another situation with another game being canceled, but you have, like Cal and the Bruins had, two teams available. So that would take precedent. And then I think that if it were a situation on the 28th, I think it would be, where the other there was only one conference game postponed and then the other conference, the other five games were played, well, then maybe you could have that non-conference game. And as long as there is availability in terms of lead time is equal, I think Kyle would be up to it. And the conference would be up for it, too. Well, there are literally uh, four other games in the conference that if they didn't happen, I am sure the conference would want to pair Utah with one of those teams. The most intriguing game is in the South. Uh, Arizona's playing UCLA. Well, Utah lost those two games. If ASU can't go, if either Arizona or UCLA has a problem, the other one, well, you're doubling back to make that game up. I mean, that, that's just, yes, th- that would yes, be an automatic. Yes. You get a game in the course, South. Yes. That's rivalry weekend in the North. Stanford's playing Cal, Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington's playing Washington State. So the only team of those six that's on the schedule is Oregon State. So if that game, if, if Oregon can't play, I don't know if they'd play, have them play Oregon State or not. Maybe they would just to get the game in earlier because they know oh, they can get it in. Well, you could. But, I think they would. Yeah, but, why yep. wouldn't they? But the other five teams, if any of them became available, they're not even on the schedule, so that's also a slam dunk. The other game that weekend is USC Colorado. Now, presumably Utah would have already played USC. They wouldn't have played two weeks in a row. Maybe they would move up the Colorado game. I think they would. So, if you've got something available, you take it because you don't know what's ahead in December. Right. So, to Kyle's point, yeah, and I think the league would look at it that way, thinking, well, let's if we can play the game now, that's five million on the TV contract in the bank. So, right. moving it up would seem, you know, and it, it's something that uh, that Kyle and Kalani have now both addressed this week as they've gotten the question: is you know, what about the preparation time? Is it even for both teams? And if it's really short notice, do you have to travel? Um, you know, Cal, had, it was really short notice for Cal, so there was a little prep time, and they had to travel, and not surprisingly, they lost the game. But they were traveling anyway. True. They would have traveled to Tempe. They actually had to travel shorter. Yes, but it's still the traveling minutes. time makes it hard to, hard to prep. At least UCLA sitting at home and can, you know, guys not come. Not if you're playing BYU-Utah. I think that's irrelevant. Yeah. Uh. All right, DJ and PK, uh, more reaction to Kyle coming up. And also coming up at the top of the hour, for those of you craving NBA draft, Brian Kalbrowski joins us. He uh, covers the NBA draft for Hoops Hype. He's also USA Today Sports Media Group editor. We'll talk NBA draft with him in 15 minutes. More on the Utes and the game with USC and Kyle's reaction to those first two USC games. Coming up next, stay with us. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! 
with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. To steal Bowler's phrase, buckle up, because it's going to be wild here in the NBA for the next couple of weeks, and certainly already off to a, a big start with a big trade in the NBA. Oklahoma City Thunder, they have 16 first-round draft picks in the next seven drafts. But we've got the draft on Wednesday, free agency begins Friday. Things are about to get real nuts real fast. This is one thing that every sports fan in this state will be keenly interested in is what's going to happen here. It's going to be fun to see what major changes are made, and even some of the minor changes might be impactful. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning title sponsor, Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome in. We just heard from Kyle Whittingham and PK... Should we read too much into his comments about the Trojan defense? They got great athletes and all that. They've they've given up fifty seven points. They've given up almost thirty points a game. This is not an impossible defense to handle. Although they inevitably have NFL draft picks. No, it's not. Yeah, can your offense move the ball? Most likely, it can. I think where they've been susceptible is to the run. Uh, Kyle, had... Kyle's got to like that. <laughs> He's I think got... he likes to run the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine a, a, if we would enter t- 2020 and I would have told you, guys, listeners, DJ, Yak, there'll be a situation where we'll have Kyle on during the morning and I'll be doing the show and interviewing him at the same time. And they will not have played a game. No, crazy. <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy. Weird. But this is the, the world in which we live. I do think, yeah, I think they should. They can have some offensive success. I'm. I, I think the... We talked about how I thought Boise's defensive line would have a disadvantage against BYU's offensive line, and that proved to be true. And I think here where uh, SC has the biggest advantage right now on paper is these world-class receivers against the Utah's defensive backs. I mean, you are getting baptism by fire right off the bat. There is no way the rest of the season you will face a collection of receivers this good, this talented. And we've been saying that. I mean, this is SC. And it's really the Pac-12 in general to where you get skill players. I mean, they you look at the Sun Devils. They're an average program, and they produce two first-round draft choices at receiver the last couple of years. I mean, it's really what the Pac-12 is about. Their skill players are really sensational. And you look at the four that SC has, each one of those guys is capable, and I believe all four of them will play in the NFL. They'll have two that will go soon, and then they got two younger guys. And those four are really, really good. And, you know, there's been some talk with, I guess we'll, we'll probably have Ryan Abraham on later in the week, um, uh, Slovis's arm. Joel Clack questioned whether mm-hmm. something was up with his arm during that game because I watched every play that SC has played this season. The two games, I watched their entirety, the entire game, and he was talking about, Clack was talking about Slovis's arm was something off, and then I went and listened Afterward, the post game, and he was saying, "Nah, it's not true. I just need to work on my my mechanics." I don't know what the truth there is. If there's something going on, but oh, in that last possession, he looked great. He's looked great at the end of both games, but there's something going on because the the cover stories are too flimsy. It was windy down on the field, and then everyone else like, "No, it wasn't." <laughs> like, if there's a real issue, tell me what it is. If you got to make up fake weather, there's an issue. Now, whatever it is and however much it hurts, he seems to grind through and push through it. And it was, uh, I'd have to go back and count it up, but I think he was 
13 of 15 in the game. I think it was 11 in a row with the completions. Now I got real lucky on the next to last one, I think. You had that ball that went through the defender's hands. It could have been picked and it ended up being completed. It wasn't even incomplete. It was completed and got him down close and set up the winning touchdown. So, yeah, he's gotten a couple breaks with deflected balls at the end of both games. That's definitely there. But, you know, you don't, you don't start completing 9, 10, or 11 passes in a row without something going really right. That's very hard to do. And he's done it with the game on the line two weeks in a row. Yeah, and at the same time, uh, he got hurt last year in the Rat Fink. He came in and beat the... Uh well, anyway. receivers, you know, receivers can make a quarterback look good. It's probably not a 50-50 deal. Quarterbacks are probably more likely to make receivers look good. But to your point about they're loaded with NFL guys, who is going to debate you on uh, St. Brown? I mean, that's clearly an NFL guy, and he's going to make plays. So baptism by fire for the secondary. Yeah, and same with Vaughn's too. And then they got this uh, McCoy. and then, Brew uh, McCoy, yeah. London. Drake London is really, really good. Mm-hmm. He's the, those are two, the, the two younger guys. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they don't run the ball as much uh, with Harrell and with his uh, whatever you want to call it. They got names, run and shoot, West Coast, blah, blah, blah. They just throw the ball. And uh, Carr and uh, the Polynesian kid, uh, they're okay, but they're not what we knew of USC for so many years with the student body left to right spiel and the Heisman Trophy winners and all that stuff. And they don't really do that. They've gone away from that. Uh, Ron- it's a great challenge. Ronald Jones was a really good back for him, and he's a really good back for Tampa Bay now. They've had talent. And the three backs they have are all averaging five yards a carry. They just don't get that many carries. No, that's what I'm saying. Step it's is not- getting 12, 13 huh. carries a game, something like that. So It's not their offense no. anymore. But it's a great it's a great test. I'm just grateful if they have the game. Uh, it just just give me the game. Get to game time. Get that ball in the air. And I'm planning to go to the stadium. And when I get there and see the kids running around on the field, um, I might tear up. I don't think you will. I get dramatic. In my old age, man, I've gotten way more sentimental. <laughs> you, you are way softer than you used to be. <laughs> Coming breathing fire in the early days of the show. Come on, COVID. Don't give me any of that crap. Play football. Yes. Forget all the dragons on the HBO show. We got a dragon right here in the studio, breathing fire. Uh, but uh, so, and then, of course, when you play the game, you know, you're you're playing to win. And, and the idea of the grateful of being able to play the game, you still have that for sure. But it's about playing to win. And Utah, here we are. <laughs> Some teams play eight, nine, ten games, and the Utes haven't played. They played zero. This is amazing. It's just shocking. And uh, I think they're going to get a chance to play. I like their chances because I haven't heard anything out of SC to make me think otherwise. But as I said, this time last week, we hadn't heard anything out of Tempe either. It's and early. all of a sudden, it just went yeah. to pot. It's things er- are crazy. It's early in the week. There's already six or seven, seven, I think, games canceled across college football now because uh, A&M and Miami, uh, those games are off now. There's already, I think, uh, a MAC game off. Uh, of course, they play Tuesday and Wednesday, so they're right there. Um, one thing I will say, and we got to talk to Riley about this tomorrow, and it goes to your point about this is USC for decades a running team, and now they are throwing the ball. But I think the number one thing, and this is to your point, I go back and circle this, PK. If the Utah O-line has an advantage on the USC D-line, the way BYU had on Boise State, if Utah can run the ball, you got to do it. you got to shorten the game. If there's anything that Arizona and Arizona State uh, – 
probably want to look back at and say, how did this happen? Like, you gave USC too many snaps. They got too many playmakers. They're running like 85 plays a game. They run the ball uh, on average 36 times, but they throw it on average 49. That is too many snaps. They're going to end up making big plays. So if there is a chance to run the ball and shorten the game, you, you can't be giving USC. You don't want to defend USC for 85 plays. There's literally no coach in the league who is thinking, boy, I hope we have the chance to defend USC for 85 plays. That's a ridiculous thing to think. So put those two points together. Remember them uh, if that game happens Saturday night. We'll talk to Riley about it tomorrow. DJ and PK, we're talking NBA Draft next. Brian Kalbrowski joins us. NBA Draft writer for Hoops Hype next. Stay with us.